Hey, everybody. Absolutely stunning news over here this week. We have a video version of this week's episode available on our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash late night. Go over there, sign up at any tier, and you'll have access to it. Once again, that's patreon.com slash late night. Now, enjoy the show. Where are you right now, Maya? I'm actually in Santa Rosa, California. I just moved here from Portland, Oregon. So, oh, nice. So, yeah, That's it's great. nice to have sunlight. <laughs> Santa Rosa is a, is Central Coast, right? It's really close to San Francisco, whatever you call that. Okay, all I know about that area is there's the uh, the Charles Schultz Airport, like the Peanuts Airport. Yeah, isn't it's that so Minneapolis? <laughs> no, 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 no. There's the Charles Schultz Airport in I think Santa Rosa, or it's um it's a city close to it. Okay, cool. And all I really know about it is just, it's a tiny airport with a bunch of propeller planes and then a bunch of cutouts of Snoopy. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Did he live there or something? I, I, I thought yeah, he was in yeah, Minnesota. Yeah, that, that was a, oh, man. Sorry. I'm going to look this up just so I stop. Okay. No. So ignorant. immediate topic of discussion. Peanuts. Thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> peanuts in general. It just reminds me of my childhood. <laughs> uh-huh. Christmas peanuts. I feel like there's a peanuts for every holiday. Now, I honestly don't know in this part of the conversation if you're talking about the comic or actual peanuts. I think there are peanuts to eat and peanuts to watch for every <laughs> for <holiday>. both. <laughs> I think that the concept of peanuts is a very all-encompassing thing. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I would agree with that. I was obsessed with the Peanuts comic strip as a kid. They used to put out these compilations of the strips in these numbered volumes, but they were big. They were like eight and a half by 11 volumes. And I collected them all. There were like 30 of them. And I would just every night as a child, like, you know, 10-ish years old, even younger, just sit in bed and read these Peanuts comic strips constantly. I loved Peanuts. Do you ever just see the peanuts in your brain when you're trying to fall asleep? Just like (laughs) constantly there. Uh, You know, I'm surprised I don't actually, because they were such a big part of my childhood. But I don't know. I mean, I'm older than than both of you. I'm not that much older, but older enough. Brian, you don't look a day over 60. Thank you so much, Brennan. I do appreciate that. But, you know, I was growing up in the 80s, which was far from the heyday of peanuts, but they were closer to a thing than they were when you guys were were kids. It was still ubiquitous at my age. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I do feel like I only ever really watched the peanuts at my grandparents' house. Mm-hmm. Was it like a VeggieTales type thing? Oh, where, my God. Where, you, you know, you, you show up to your relative's place and then just kind of park you in front of a TV and show, you, and show you as much palatable to all audiences content as possible? Yeah, except for there was also some of those old Mickey Mouse cartoons, the really creepy black Classics. and white ones. Oh, yeah. Oh, those haunt my nightmares for sure. <laughs> I'll tell you the creepiest version of this. In my grandmother's house in northern New Jersey, the house was built, I think, in the 20s. And the original owner in the basement, the houses were weird that, you know, it had like a bizarre spiral staircase. This guy had painted in the basement on the walls, a bunch of those old black and white Disney, Betty Boop, you know, Popeye, all those old black and white cartoons on the walls of the basement. And it was (laughs) fucking terrifying. You'd go down there and it would be like, you're just surrounded by these like wide eyed monstrosities. It was like, if you've ever seen 
It's a Good Life, the Twilight Zone episode, specifically I'm thinking from the movie. It was exactly like that. Terrifying cartoon characters that looked like they were going to come eat you. Oh, that's so Wait. spooky. Yes, did did you guys grow up with basements? Because basements aren't a California thing. Oh, right. I've never lived in a place that's had, had a basement. I've never had that like creepy like walking down like those steps kind of like moment in my life specifically because just earthquakes happen here. Is that why you don't have basements here? Oh, yeah, specifically. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I definitely had basements growing up. A lot of creepy basements. Yeah. Where did you grow up? I mostly grew up in Spokane, Washington. Oh, yeah, that's basement central. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like it builds character. I agree. Emo Phillips, one of my favorite hey. stand-ups, has a has a great joke which goes goes like this. I'll tell it. This is from this is an emo joke. He says when you know, when I was growing up, my parents had one rule. They said, "Emo, don't go near the cellar door." And every day they would say, "Emo, don't go near the cellar door." And one day, when I was 8 years old, I went up to that cellar door and I threw it open and I saw trees and sunlight <laughs> and grass. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. I like that a lot. Yeah. So I really, <laughs> really sorry to bring it back to, the to just drag the conversation back. No, to Pina, please, but, please. Uh, the, the Charles Schultz uh, airport is in Sonoma County, which is next to Santa Rosa, I believe. Right. Yeah. It's super close. If you look at the logo of it, it's it's Snoopy flying flying his, his doghouse dog is a plane. Yeah. It's just it's great. Of what brought you to Santa Rosa? My parents have a house here, and right now it's free. <laughs> <laughs> great, yes, big yeah. plus. Oh, yeah. Sorry, if you don't mind me asking, I've, I've just I've been staring at at that guitar uh, behind you this entire time. Yeah, the excessive looking one. Is there is there a chance you could tell us a little bit about oh, that? Okay, hold on. That hold, looks y- fascinating. Y- Vernon, that's an amazing question. We're gonna introduce the show right away so we can, we oh, can, I we ruined can it. put this oh, in right you- here. No, 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 no. You oh, didn't ruin no. anything. You're you're totally fine. You ruined nothing. You didn't ruin it. You didn't ruin it. Uh everybody, this is Late Night with Brian Wecht. My name is Brian Wecht. Today we are Latenless and subbing in for Late and Gray today, we have the incomparable. And he made me put that in. Vernon Shaw. Vernon, say hi. <laughs> hi, everybody. Uh, it's Vernon, uh, co-creator of Dream Daddy, filling in for Layton. Maybe is in jail. Um, <sighs> and legally, Layton is the only one who can post bail. Great. That's right. Yes. It's Well, I was going to make a joke, but then thought better of it. Uh, now, Vernon, <laughs> here's a question for you. As a longtime yeah. fan of the show, do you know what Layton would say here? Well, it would, I mean, like if you want to put fan in quotation marks. Uh-huh. Um, you, you've heard more than one episode. There we go. Would you care to introduce you yourself? Much. Mystery guest, wow. would you care to introduce yourself? I'm so that's, good at this. I'm exactly a true late right. night fan. It's exactly took right. took me three tries, me. but we're fine. Um, my name is Maya Wynn, and I make music and sit around a lot and overthink things <laughs> and um, create a lot of fun things with really cool people. Yeah, very happy to be here. <laughs> I love it. And Maya, would you care to describe our mutual connections? Because there are a couple. Yes, I have collaborated with Dan Avedan a couple of times Who? now. We just recently were in Nashville recording with Jim Roach, who I also collaborate with. Um, yes. I think those are our two sort of main connections, unless there's probably Great. more secret connections. I have no idea. Have you met and work with Jarek at all? 
I emailed Jarek. You emailed Jarek. Huge fan. Shout out to Jarek. <laughs> he is assistant engineer on a bunch of projects we do with Jim. And we've been working with him via Jim for a long time. And he's also the producer of this podcast. Thank you, Jarek. Love you, Jarek. <laughs> yes, Jarek's the best. But yeah, we both work with Jim and Dan and they're the best and, you know, truly wonderful, talented folks. Well, so here's a question. Actually, when you went to Nashville, was Jim's basement studio like up and rocking or did you guys go to a studio outside his house? We went to a fancy studio. We went to Blackbird Studio. Oh, my. Yeah. So we got the big, big console, fancy, yeah. you know, green room with coffee and everything. And it's yep, great. Yep. <laughs> That's a legendary studio. That, that yeah. must have been awesome. It was amazing. And we got to listen to um, a few songs in there. Is it the, the Dolby Atmos? Whatever it is with the 10,000 speakers. Yes, um, Atmos. Yeah. yeah. It was amazing. <laughs> yeah. When, when uh, I was in toronto a couple years ago recording something and they had an atmos room and i was just like oh my god it is incredible you know i think there's 11 speakers and they're in this weird pattern it's not just you know around there's one on like uh, they're all over the place i don't know the setup and it was like a very immersive cool thing it was very cool they had done like surround remixes of of a bunch of classic songs. We listened to like the Beach Boys and and he had secretly on his own, the engineer there, but he had secretly on his own done a, a surround remix of Tom Sawyer. And it uh -huh. was just the coolest thing to hear that in surround and like the way that they play around with everything. And they did this sort of sound effects and you could just feel these weird clicking sounds through your bones. And that's cool. It's just really exciting <laughs> to be in that space. Mixing on two channels is hard enough. I can't even imagine what it's like. This is a skill I do not possess even remotely. I can't even imagine what it's like to mix on. Yeah, coming come in as speakers. a guy who um who doesn't have a lot of a music background, like I've I've always heard that engineers are just just kind of like a different type of technician when it comes to this. Oh yeah, like you can be a good producer but a horrible engineer. Those are different things too. There's engineering, like actually recording. Oh, I'm sorry, right? I meant I meant mixing. Yeah. Uh, no, I'll, I'll be repeatedly telling people what I think you actually meant, Vernon. So please, <laughs> please get used to that for the recording. But yeah, but even engineering is one skill, like actually recording instruments well. And then there's mixing and then there's mastery. Like, this is something I really want to talk about with both of you, because here's something I've been thinking about a lot recently. I think all creatives have the occasional fantasy of what I would like to do is just go away for two weeks and learn this skill. Whatever it is, like I want to put everything on hold and I'm going to go away and I'm going to learn fill in the blank, mixing, Photoshop, you know, whatever, something. Very few people do it. I've never actually done this myself, but so much of what I do, I can't just do by myself. Like, I don't know how to fucking mix something. It, it's, it's really hard. And if I did it, it would be bad. So <laughs> at what point do you start to become a one-stop shop or... Do you just accept that you're not and rely on collaborators? And I think this is a hard decision. People like Jim Roach can be a one-stop shop. The guy can do it all. You know, he can write, he can play, he can sing, he can mix, he can record, he can do it all. I am not a good singer. I don't know how to record instruments. I sure don't know how to mix. I don't have any gear to master. So if I want to make 
an actual piece but of music I put out in the world. Thank you, Vernon. You're yeah, so fun least, to be around. <laughs> that's right. Thank you. Thank you for not including my physical appearance in that. I appreciate it. I'm more, I'm more than just a face. <laughs> and I, I, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that. But I'm curious what, what you two think of at this like acquisition of skills versus admitting that you're just not going to do it all. I feel that. I think now more than ever, there's this expectation to know how to do everything. You know, if I you're going to start a music career, you have to also manage your own business. You have to learn web design. I mean, you don't have to do any of these things, but if you don't have money, if you don't have a lot right. of resources, you kind of stuck with learning a lot of things on your own. Yes. And it becomes overwhelming. I wish I could do it all. Like I get these visions of like, music video ideas. And, and yes. I think I overestimate my ability to do things. I think I can do that. That seems easy enough. I have this vision in my head and then I try to execute it. And then I remember I haven't actually learned this skill yet. And this looks terrible. And I should probably, you know, put some money into this and get somebody who actually <laughs> knows what they're doing. Which I think I also do with music sometimes too. Like I want to learn and I'm excited by the process of learning and I'm, I'm learning music production right now. And Jim's actually been really helpful with that because yes. he's helping me with my with my record. He's mixing with my record and yeah. I've been self-producing He's a good mixer it. too. He's an amazing mixer. And he's kind of writing that line between like mixing and producing because I'm giving him these huge sessions that I've I've recorded all these pieces and I know a lot, but there's also a lot that I don't know. And he's kind of filling in the gaps and, and taking all of these things and and yeah. This last session that I sent him is just a wall of cellos. There's like 60 tracks of cellos. <laughs> and he texted me yesterday. He's like, I think this song needs some cello in it. And I I give him all these pieces and he is able to sort of sort through everything, really whittle it down to the best pieces, organize it and get it sounding really good. But I do think it's important at some point to recognize like, okay, I've reached the limit of my skill set and... There's so much yes. value and so much creative energy that other people can bring to a project that I feel like elevates it a lot of the time too, beyond yeah. what your own vision is, which I think is really great. I 100% agree. The whole point of collaboration, right, is to get other people's voices in. That's what I love doing. The thing you said first, I so strongly agree with, which is there's so much pressure to just do it all yourself. It's that YouTube aesthetic, right? I got a camera, I play games, I edit my own videos, I do it all. And I think it's great in one respect, but it is so much pressure. Oh my God. Vernon, what about you? You're not a one-stop shop kind of person, no. right? Yeah. I feel like the best things I've ever made like in my creative career have come from not realizing that that thing I was trying to learn would be as hard as it was. Yes. So Maya, you were saying that you overestimate how much you can do. I think that's the way to do it, honestly, because then you you don't talk yourself out of it before you try. I remember way, way, way early in my career, I was asked to be the visual effects supervisor for a Tupac parody of Hit 'em Up, but it was as Barack Obama. <laughs> Wait, doing hold, a, on, a, hold, a, on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Wow, yeah, lot, lots, to, lots to jump into here. I completely forgot about this. Uh, okay, I'm I'm going to ask a, a a simple question and a, <laughs> yeah. and I mean this question with respect. You? <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Uh this is way back in the day. I was working at this place called Mosaic Media Group, uh which oh, is a comedy yeah. management company and I worked as like uh their audio visual technician. So most of my job was like distributing mail and posting up. Sorry, did did you say 
You said distributing mayo or distributing mayo? <laughs> mayo, mayo, mayo. So, uh, get your mind out of the gutter. It's a natural uh, question. I don't understand I know, the it, problem here. No, but yeah, I, uh, I was the mailroom guy. It's actually where. Also, uh, hold I on. No, I really, I really need to pause on this. There is nothing <laughs> disgusting or unnatural about mayo. Mayo <laughs> is a a tasteful, natural substance that occurs between two or more consenting adults, and I don't think we need to demonize or. I just or sometimes ma- worry at the proximity with which mayo is always on your brain. <laughs> well, look, I, I mean, what can I say? As a, as a mayo fluencer, it's it's part of my. <laughs> My identity. I, I I don't know what to do. It's what pays the bills. It's it's what keeps my family fed, mostly in mayo. But you know, you, you got to take what you can get. Yeah. No. I just sometimes worry, like if you can ever divide your personhood from your personal brand of mayo influencing. Mm-hmm. I think that is a valid concern. You're walking we, the tightrope. We can. Yeah. And the rope is made out of frozen congealed mayo. Yeah. So you're at mosaic. I, I, used, I used to be uh, the audiovisual slash mailroom guy at Mosaic Media Group. It's actually where I first met Brent Lilly, our close personal friend. So he's actually one of the guys I've known in Los Angeles for the longest. But I used to deliver his mail every day, and then he would like give me career advice in exchange for me. Sorry, did you say? Did you him. say you would deliver his mail every day, or you would deliver his mail? Every it's day? mail, mail, M A Y O, mail. Yeah, mm, <laughs> mail. So uh, um, uh, I was the audiovisual guy, and Good move um, they had a lot of comedians that. that was the correct through. way to yeah. handle that. Yeah, great. Continue. So yeah, they 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 have a lot of comedians come here, um, and one of them, James Davis, who's like an extremely funny guy, creator of Garfield, was doing a uh, uh, I don't know, man. Obama parodies were really really hot because he was president. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> he got big off of uh, a walk a flock of flame parody. <laughs> Uh, of of Obama, so he had to do you know the Tupac hit him up video like it's very iconic like they're in the white room they're like oh yes 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 there's like the flames at the bottom of the screen for no <laughs> right. reason and then like a, like a weird green screened um like trapezoidal movie projector screen of other people uh like dancing in a different room but it all it's all kind of green screeny. I don't know, man. Like uh, when you go to film school, you you like hang out with a bunch of other film students, and you kind of forget that. All like, right, everybody, your skill cl- clock are... it twenty minutes before you mention film school. There we are. Uh, okay. Hi, I'm Brian. I went to film school. <laughs> you okay? Like you, God, it, like you always have my number, Brian. Like I don't know how you're this good at making me feel uncomfortable. <laughs> and every time every time you guys are like hey come on the podcast vernon every single time i'm like no he's not gonna get me this time i'm can ready I, this time can I, I tell you the worst part Brian? can i tell you the worst part i'm not yeah. trying to make you feel uncomfortable that's the worst no. part that's <laughs> the worst <sighs> vernon this comes from a place of extreme yeah. respect you uh-huh. know if i didn't love you i wouldn't give you sure. what we in my generation call the business so yeah. I know <laughs> I know you Thanks. can handle it. And that's why business is coming from me to you because of how much I respect you. Brother, business is good. Please, I'm begging you. Let me exit the story. Like, let me get this out. Yeah, Let's okay, fine. I don't know why you haven't finished it sooner. <laughs> yeah, went to film school. Uh, all of us films, I don't know, when you hang out with a bunch of film students, you all kind of share the same skill set. So, yeah. so, you don't, so you don't feel like you necessarily know anything special because everybody else knows how to edit, right? So, um, But I guess the interesting thing, like leaving film school and going out and do your first job is you mentioned that you can edit and everyone's like, wow, you can edit? Maybe right. it's different now because the barrier to entry is a lot even lower than it was at my stage. Yes. 
But um, someone mentioned uh, that they needed someone to do uh, visual effects for this. And, you know, I was like a scrappy young upstart. So I was like, yeah, sure, I'll do it. Uh-huh. Awesome. And they're like, oh, wow, Vernon, like so cool that you know how to do visual effects. And then I went home and then I watched as many YouTube tutorial videos on visual effects. Time honored tradition. Yep. Thank you. And then we, we did the shoot on a green screen and I knew how to chroma key stuff because Look I did the 10 hour Adobe After Effects boot camp uh, and nobody was the wiser. Yep. And you know what? Like now that I think of it, I've really taken that scam artist energy like into the rest of my creative career. And so I, I really do appreciate like the sort of autodidact stuff you get to do as I agree as like a creator in this day and age where you just kind of like figure shit out for yourself. But I will say my life has gotten a lot easier now that the sort of projects I work on, I'm able to like pay people to help me on it. Yeah. Well, but j- j- just to say this, though, you back it up like i mean both of you are very talented individuals and vernon you know i I know you're you will never say a positive word about yourself so allow me to talk you (laughs) up a little bit you are a creative powerhouse although you did just hit the mic with your head which was kind of a goofball (laughs) move but i am so impressed continually by your work ethic and the stuff you make which is always functioning at like the highest level like this is not just want to be clear you are very far from a like a scam artist, I can't do anything, guy. You're 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 working at a high level there, dude. Thank you, Brian. Thank you for the nice compliment. Of course, I meant you're cool too. You know what? That's actually a step up from where we were yesterday. So thank you. I do <laughs> I do appreciate that. So I interrupted before because Vernon, you were asking Maya a question about something. I said, "No, we have to introduce the show." Sorry, I, I haven't stopped thinking about the guitar. I'm I'm oh, yeah. so interested in what that is. Everyone who wants to see this. Patreon.com slash late night. There you go. Oh, oh my yeah. God. This is a harp guitar. Those things are amazing. Oh yeah. How many guitars do you need? Need is an interesting question. <laughs> yeah. Um, but <laughs> I have a lot of guitars. Learning music was like my pandemic hobby and it's still going terribly. But um, there was a moment <laughs> where I realized I'm, I'm way better at buying musical instruments than I am at learning them. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. I have way too many instruments. I have a problem. Before you set that thing down, Maya, can you play it? I mean, do you feel comfortable playing a little bit? Can you play a little? (laughs) Um, I can tell you about it. So this is, so the top half is six strings. Bottom half is just a regular guitar. And then the top half is, they're all bass notes, but they, there's no fretboard. So they just resonate. And it's, I think it's F, G, A, B, C, D. Oh, wow. That's interesting. But there you go. It's very dramatic. Uh, Yeah, I'm so curious. Where do you find something like this? On the internet. Um, Sorry, wait, wait. If I may, if I may, at Harp Guitar Center. (laughs) Harp Guitar Center. Wait, is that a thing? No, but I wish it was. I would have believed you. That was the best way to respond to that. Yes, I agree with that 100%. Honestly, there probably is a harp guitar center. <laughs> I don't know if you'd believe me, but this one is the small size. This is the parlor size. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just a small person, but the regular size one is just massive. That's awesome. So this guitar, at first glance, might not look really weird, mm-hmm. but... When I was at NAM this year, they 
at the end, there are, are these people that start selling instruments because they don't want to ship them back and right. they sell them for super cheap. And they're sort of yeah. like knockoff brands a lot of the time. Fender. I was looking for a Strat and they were selling a Strat-like guitar. And I've been working with lace pickups. And so I knew I could have them put some really nice pickups in it. And so I bought this. It was only 80 bucks. And then two seconds later, I realized I bought a left-handed guitar. I was going to say, um, yes. Okay, great. Yeah. <laughs> and so I gave it to the guys at Lace and Gabriel basically turned the left-handed guitar into a right-handed guitar. Wow. So everything is oh. sort of weirdly backwards, but it plays yeah. like a right-handed guitar. Um, so he turned my my mistake into a beautiful, weird strat like guitar and it sounds amazing does that mean you just change the order of the strings kind of reverse them yeah he flipped everything and then he rewired everything on the inside as well the only awkward part is that the knobs are kind of where right. your arm is and <laughs> <laughs> like where the the cable sticks out but it's my my weird little little guitar that's awesome that's got to be a fairly unique thing right yeah a left-handed guitar wire yeah. that's awesome have you ever been to the the Nam Museum? Ooh, no, I haven't. So it's in Carlsbad. Vernon, do you know what Nam is? No. There was a pretty brutal war there about sixty years back. <laughs> <laughs> but you guys turned Sorry. out okay. Like if you if you're going yeah. back every year. Yeah, that's right. Me and four other guys. There was a Spike Lee movie about us. <laughs> <laughs> Just good love. It was there. That's right. Yeah. It was brutal. No, but NAM, it, what is it? The National Association of Music Makers? Or is that right? Music Merchants, maybe? Music Merchants, I think. Yeah, I think yeah. you're right. And so in Carlsbad, which is where I guess NAM HQ is, they have a little museum. And the cool part about this museum is they just, in addition to having like interesting displays, they just have a bunch of instruments out that you can just mess around with. And so I took my then eight-year-old there and she just got to play a harp guitar because they just had a harp guitar laying around you know they have all these bizarre instruments and the normal ones so like a standard acoustic guitar or a banjo or was whatever. there a weird one that really stuck out to you yes in fact there was the harpeggi which is a <laughs> okay. wonderful do you know what that is maya have you I've ever heard seen of a harpeggi but will you describe it it looks like I feel like I just talked about this on the show. So I apologize to listeners if I'm repeating myself. It's it's a stringed instrument, which looks like it has black and white keys on it. And you kind of tap, but they're laid out in a grid. Oh, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Right? I have no idea how to actually play it. I was just looking at videos of those. Every time I see a weird instrument, I have to look it up and see how much it is so I can order it. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have a lot of weird instruments. And my Do where tell. I just yeah. moved from, I had a much bigger studio space, and that's where I've left most of my instruments. But I think I counted them at one point, and I had over over 87 instruments. Whoa. That's amazing. Yeah. It's a Is that mostly stringed instruments? Mostly stringed instruments and drums and pianos and organs. I had two organs. I had two organs because I lived in Butte, Montana, and everybody there is trying to get rid of an organ so you can get them for free. What? What happened in Butte with organs 50 years I ago? I don't know. Everybody in Butte has an old organ, and they don't want it anymore. So if you go to Butte, Montana, go grab some organs because everyone's trying to get rid of one. Okay, so when you say organ, like uh, all I'm envisioning is like large pipes in a church. The much smaller version of that. And there's different kinds. There's electric organs. 
there's some pretty old electric organs too, but there's a lot of different kinds and some of them have very exciting buttons that do a lot of yes. various things. Oh, yes, things. they do. <laughs> the sheer variety of organs is pretty astounding. Yeah. I'm a big Daniel Johnston fan, so I have a little cord mm. organ right here. Oh, cool. I will not play it for you guys out of Thank respect you. for everyone involved. <laughs> Can I ask you a butte question, Maya? Yes. So I went to college with a woman from nearby, and this was a while back. So this is approximately 25, 30 years ago. She told us that somewhere in or near Butte, there was just a giant pit that people dump stuff in. And <laughs> I was hoping you were going to ask about the and, Berkeley pit. So and it was, like, uh, if, if, if you aren't watching the video, like Maya, Maya lit up, like they're mentioning the, the, the Butte pile. Yes. yes. So she said it was this giant toxic pit in Butte. So please, yes. please talk about the pit. Oh, it is one of my favorite things to talk about. Okay, great. <laughs> There's this big, okay. so there is, it's just this pool of toxic chemicals, uh, yes. but it looks like this pristine yeah. water. So they, they play this sound to keep birds from landing on it so they don't die and dissolve into the toxic chemicals. Great place to dispose of a body. Uh-huh. <laughs> so it, it, it really, it really is just a giant pool of toxic waste in the middle of Butte. Yeah. And it's like a tourist attraction. It's great. Right. Go see the Berkeley pit. It's beautiful. It's it's not as exciting as you might think it is. You get there and you're like, "Yep, that's a big puddle of chemical water." I'm looking I'm looking at pictures of it yeah. right now and and, and it does kind of look like a gaping wound. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Butte, Montana is one of the most intriguing places in the country. It originally was I think as populous as San Francisco, there were so many people there during the mining boom. And so there was all of these immigrants that moved to Butte, Montana to start mining. And then they basically mined this town clean. um, And then a lot of people moved out. And so like the first Chinese restaurant in America is in Butte, Montana. Oh, really? Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And it's really good. It's a great restaurant. Is it from like late 19th century? Yeah, it has like tons of history and like evil Knievel was in the area. Like there's so much history and it's really intriguing. There's all these underground tunnels from prohibition. And so you can sort of go through the town in these underground tunnels. There's all these mining tunnels. There's lots of old buildings because it's kind of preserved in that state because people moved away and all these old buildings still exist. And so you can do these tours through all of the old brothels and the old speakeasies. And it's just a really cool piece of history. And it's really fascinating. It was cool to live there. That's great. You would think sometime in their intervening 30 years, I would have Googled Pitt Butte. Yeah. And I never did. Right? And it's amazing <laughs> to have confirmation that this was a real thing. Yeah. Or you might have accidentally stumbled upon it Googling, you know, butt pit or something at least. Which you know? is a thing I have Googled many times. <laughs> indeed. Right. For work, for work. <laughs> In addition to your guitars, Maya, of course, we do want to talk about your your music. But it's here's the thing. It's hard to know where to start because you do so much and you play so many different instruments that I think really just what I wanted to ask you about is what are you excited about like right now that you're doing musically? I was actually just talking to Dan about this that I feel like who you <laughs> Dan Evident. <laughs> oh, right. Yes, of course. We've met. Yeah. Oh, he's the guy yeah. who does Ninja Sex Party. That's right. Yeah, he, he's the guy who does Ninja Sex Party. Though, yeah, it's like a one man act. That's correct. Solo. Yes, Danny and the Bean. That's what they yeah. call us. 
But we were talking about this. We were talking about how you, you get so focused on a project and then by the time you reach the end of that project, you're already focused on the next project and you're kind of burnt out on the one that you were working on. Uh-huh. And so right now I'm very excited about the future things that I will get to work on when I'm done with the thing I'm currently working on. Um, I have a lot of new songs and I do have a a second album with Envy of None, which is another project that I'm part of um, that we're working on, which I'm, I'm very excited about. And also very excited to finally be done with this album that I am currently working on, which I'm still very excited about, but I feel like I'm, I've been ready to release it into the world for like 8 billion years. So that's a solo project. Yes. That's under your name. You guys both are musicians. Like, is there a general length of time that a project will take you guys? Or is it sort of different project by project? It depends on the project. This current album that I'm trying to finish, I've been working on for seven years. Hell yeah. But not consistently, like very inconsistently. And then very panicked in over the last like year. Did you end up at a different place than you thought you would have ended up on it? Like in year one? Yeah, it's very different now. I think it's kind of evolved the whole time. What about you? Yeah. What are, what are your project lengths? It's wildly different. A lot of it depends on the particular collaborators and how they work, right? For my upcoming Smooth Jazz album. Wow. Which is coming out. This, this is coming out next week after this, this episode drops. I saw a post about this. This is exciting. Yeah, I'm very excited about it. So this is... The album. I actually have the audio because that version right here. There it is. There it is. Trey Magnifique stares at me to give me strength. That's what I do. That project took a very long time, but it also got totally derailed by COVID. But I probably wrote the first song there five years ago, maybe even six, and then was going to like lock it down. And then COVID just screwed everything up and I couldn't focus on it. But that one took a long time. Also, I hate working on things by myself because I'm very easy to talk out of deadlines. And I can always be like, you know, well, it's that old Douglas Adams quote, right? I love deadlines. I love the whooshing sound they make when they fly past my head. Yes, exactly. <laughs> okay, here's something I get caught up with. I wonder if you both do too. I will often get hung up on, am I doing this the right way? And despite the fact that I know intellectually there is no such thing as the right way, there is just a way and you make choices and those choices are what they are. I will often get hung up with like, is this the best way? Is this the right way? Like, And I find I dwell too long in the trying to figure out the way to do it rather than the just doing it. So with this project in particular, this was wrapped a year ago. And then I was like, oh, should I? go for a label for this one. I'm not on any labels right now. Everything I do is independent. Maybe I'll shop around for a label, just see if they want to release it. And then, and I dithered for like four months, not knowing any labels anyway. And eventually it was just like, nah, but I got hung up in this stupid limbo for no particular reason, other than I just wanted to do the intellectual exercise of, should I do this differently than previous? And then ultimately just went with what I, I knew. So I get, very hung up in this, like, is there a best way to like do this, you know, rather than just doing it? I feel like I completely relate to that. I feel like decision-making is my biggest enemy in life is just making decisions Yeah, and feeling good about those decisions. It's so hard. (laughs) Yes. 
It's so hard. Do you guys consider yourselves perfectionists? No, I really don't. Like, I am not a perfectionist. In fact, my whole creative philosophy when working with other people is work with cool people and let them be cool. Like, don't micromanage. Don't worry about if it's perfect. Just like let people do their thing and then the project is going to be what it's going to be. So this is, for me at least, very far from perfectionism. I'm not micromanaging mixes. I'm not, you know, going 12 rounds of notes on stuff. So is it is it more of like an analysis paralysis kind of thing? I think so. I think that's a better, yeah, a better way to phrase it. The sheer terror of choice. Yeah, choices are hard. Yeah, and especially when it's like, when you're the only one who will be harmed by waiting, you know, you're not letting anyone down except yourself. And so it's very easy that. to just, yes. <laughs> well, it, I mean, it, I do it all the time. Analysis paralysis is probably closer to what it is, but yeah, I'm definitely not a perfectionist, except when I was a scientist. When I was a scientist, I had to be a perfectionist because otherwise the science is wrong. And then you have to like double and triple check everything. But that's a totally different thing than to me anyway, than making music. I feel that. I feel like I struggle with the creative choices than I do with everything else. I think I don't care enough about the rest of it. Like right now I'm trying to release the album and I just want to get it out there. And I know that there are better ways to do it. And I could do this in a more structured way but at this point i just as soon as it's ready i'm like there you go yep. world there it yes. is the, the thing i do always to shoot myself in the foot is i'm so ready to get the thing out the door that then i do not promote effectively i'm yeah. like so sick of the thing i'm bad at marketing i am too like i've spent years trying to convince myself like no man you can do it like you know how to do this stuff and every year I continually disappoint myself with my right. inability to push out product. Same. Like so many people I know, I'm like, I better shut up about this fucking thing online or I'm going to seem like a monster. <laughs> and then, and then you put it out and the reactions are all like, oh my God, I didn't even know this was coming. What? Where did this come? And you're like, what was I, what was I not talking about it enough? So I could have talked about it more and not felt bad. I wish I was like 10% more hustle in terms of promotion. Okay, yeah. I feel that same analysis paralysis that you do, Brian. Like I've really made peace with putting out C minus work. Yeah. That that's sorry, that sounds bad. And it no, is no, bad. But I agree with that 100 percent But keep going. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Not that your work is bad, but I, I agree with this philosophy. I, yeah, I, I don't I don't think that anyone would ever see a 100% effort by me because I don't think that I would be able to get a 100% effort out yes. of the door because if I were striving for a 100%, like it would never get finished. So right. um, but, uh, yeah. I, I guess my like creative career has been a focus of trying to make sure that what I consider to be like 70% there is as good as possible. Yes. Like the goal is to make your 70% better than the next guy's 100%. Yeah. Done is better than good. I don't know. Yeah. I, I agree. And what I was going to say is when you call it C minus work, what that <laughs> fails to take into account is that everybody's scale is different and your C minus is going to be someone else's A plus. Jesus Christ. I hope so. No, I've, it, been, it I've been is. doing this like writer artist crap for, for so long. There's a comfortability in that, uh, but also like uh, you wonder if you're, that never goes away. Right. I had lunch with this uh, older writer friend of mine who's probably like 20 years my senior and has worked on some pretty big stuff. And uh, I guess the story of my life right now is that I'm uh, working on moving uh, towards film and TV creative projects. 
Uh, and I was sitting with her and I was talking to her and she's like, how's it going? Uh, how's things feeling? And I remember asking her like, does this feeling ever go away? Like the, the, like the terror and like immediately she's like, no, nah, nah, no, it just means that's uh, just how it goes. <laughs> I have often said in the past, there's a word for people who no longer have that feeling. And that word is assholes. <laughs> like <laughs> the terror keeps me going. Yeah, anyone who's not cowed by a career in the arts, at least a little bit, I feel like it's kind of a lack of empathy to some extent. You know, I I think about that thing you said all the time about the most brutal advice you could give someone in the arts is if you can do anything other than that art and still be happy, you should do that instead. Yes. This is this is advice that was given to me by my high school band conductor. Mm-hmm. I think about that a lot and like the about the reason why like I spend so much time trying to create shit and trying to trying to make things. And I think the idea is just that like I kind of can't not making shit sucks and it's it's hard to do and I'm tired all the time um, and I never feel like I'm good at it. But I kind of have to I kind of have to keep doing it. Yeah. How often on a regular basis do you consider quitting and doing something else? All the time. Literally <laughs> all the time. Wait, do, do you guys not have ripcord jobs? Yeah, I quit what was, mine. What's your, what's your ripcord yeah, job? Yeah. <laughs> I used to have one. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know, you know the, the 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 job where you're just like fuck this art shit and like you just yeah. go, you pull the ripcord and go. I feel like I don't even have a job in that scenario. It's just I want to go live in the woods and be away from everybody and like just be feral in, in the woods. That's my ripcord option. I think about yeah. it all the time. <laughs> so you, you don't have a ripcord job, Brian? My my plan B is, and this is as well formulated as it is, is call a friend in tech, question mark. <laughs> <laughs> Consulting with like a question mark with parentheses around it after it. I guess. Yeah. I don't fucking know. Like, I mean, <laughs> I have a skill set, which is math. I have a background in science. Like that's not nothing, but is that a job that'll keep my family fed and pay the mortgage and that stuff. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. I've never really investigated it. I kind of don't want to know until I have to know, to be honest with you, because I, if the out was too easy, I would be tempted to take it. And Mm -hmm. I don't want to be tempted to take it. Yeah. I feel like as soon as you have the plan, it's like giving up. Yes, kind of. But now, now I do want to be clear all the time we get fans who say, how can I do it? How can I be a musician? How can I do this full time? I do want to say nobody is saying that people who have day jobs are not real artists. No, certainly nobody is saying that. But a lot of amazing art is made by people who are not doing music or whatever it is full time. But I do think you're right that if the out is is right there, you'll be like, well, like, I don't yeah. know. it's hard to write <laughs> music, but it's easy to go get paid for, you know, for this other thing. Maya, I want to talk more about about your journey. Broadly speaking, like how did you get to the point where you are today? What was your, you know, your kind of life up to this this point in terms of a balance between music and paying the bills? I've had a very weird journey. I left home when I was 16 and I started to pursue music as a career around then. And I ended up in a very weird situation that wasn't great, but it did allow me to sort of pursue music. So I didn't end up going to college after high school. I was just pursuing music full time, which I think in a, in a similar sense, like it really forced me to focus on, okay, how can I survive with this? And, and how do I make this work 
because I really didn't, I really didn't have a, a plan B at that point. So I really just spent all of my time and energy trying to figure that out. And I feel like I sort of really spread myself thin and some things worked and some things didn't. Um, but I eventually found paths that felt like they were working. And I've recently gotten to the point where I feel like I'm, I'm starting to, to stabilize and like figure out myself and, and, realize that I am now an adult at 26. (laughs) (laughs) Was there a moment that felt for you like this is what I'm supposed to be doing? Or like, was there an easing of that tension of like, wait, this is working out? It it ebbs and flows. There are moments where I'm like, oh my God, I'm I'm really doing it. And and I definitely had that with the Envy of None stuff. It was my first time working on a project with with a label. We were doing tons of interviews. We had a PR team and and obviously with with very successful musicians. Um yeah. so I was working with with Andy Curran, who was in Coney Hatch, and Alex Lifeson of Rush and Alfio Annablini, who's this renowned recording engineer, producer, just amazing musician. And so it was a step into that world for me because I was just, you know, random girl from Oregon working with these amazing Canadian musicians. And it was like dipping my toe in this world of what it is like on the other side for these yeah. for these people who have been very successful in their careers. And and that was really amazing and getting a t- sort of a taste of that and what that's like. And so I still sometimes get like a big check from this project and it's like, wow, they're we're <laughs> actually making money from these sales and this is yeah. amazing and, and completely opposite from like tiny indie musician in Montana right, playing right. in bars, you know, <laughs> for, for tips, you know, it's just like two completely different worlds. Yeah. Did the label put you together with, with those other musicians or what was the connection there? So I was doing a lot of song contests to try to make connections because I didn't really have a lot of connections and I was just trying to to get opportunities. So anytime I found a song contest or a music contest, I would enter. And there is this one called Claim to Fame like five years ago or six years ago that I entered and I ended up winning. And one of my prizes was a Zoom mentorship with Andy Curran. And so we were talking and I, I knew mostly that he was working in A&R at that point and like at this music company and um, I mostly asked him business questions, but we started talking about music and, and um, this project that he was doing and I offered to sing if he needed vocals and he took me up on it. And that's, that's really how the project started, which is awesome. really cool. I was very, <laughs> I had no idea what I was doing when I got into it. <laughs> I mean, what a great story like i mean it pays to enter these things like i mean obviously sometimes the entry fees are exorbitant and blah 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 but like it's not without benefits how did they break the news to you with that contest i got a phone call because it was my birthday when i got the phone call so that was very exciting i got a phone call and they told me (laughs) and um (laughs) and then there's a different contest that i won that was called Music from the Moon, and it was a songwriting contest to celebrate the 50th anniversary of the moon landing. And oh, um, cool. <laughs> okay, yeah, which is really, yes. really random. So, it was so Buzz Aldrin showed up on your doorstep. Actually, yes. Buzz Aldrin was at the Space and Rocket Center where I played. Oh, you're kidding! That's amazing. <laughs> So it was very, very exciting. I went and played at the Space and Rocket Center at the 50th anniversary gala for the the moon landing. So it was like astronauts, NASA scientists, and awesome. just the coolest, <laughs> the coolest performance I've ever done. And just at any point during this, did someone show up with like a comically large check? <laughs> yes, actually, for claim to fame, I got, I got a I, You know what, <laughs> Vernon, 
when you asked that question, I was like, there's no way this is going to hit. But if it does, it's going to be a fucking home run. And God damn it, you went for it and you got it. I am so impressed that you took that swing and you nailed it. I would. Oh. You know, comedy's about taking risks, guys. Sometimes, it's, sometimes you got you got to go for. It. That really paid off, and it. congratulations is all I can say. I'm, I'm, I'm really sorry, impressed. Please tell me about the check. I want to know so badly. Yeah, I want, now I, I want to get a comically check large too. check. It was great. Uh, you know, I feel like you've really made it in life if you get a really comically large check that you can't do anything. And as someone who's never gotten a comically large check, do you take the check into the bank under your no, arm? No, they give you a real check along. You have with to go it. to. Sorry, <laughs> I, I, I can handle this you one. You have to go to a much larger large bank. bank. That, that's correct. Bank Thank, from you. You. Thank you. I'm Thank you. I'm stealing the bit that's, right out from under you. That's exactly right. Sorry. No, that's. That's fine. I want to ask my, I ask this to any musicians we have on, because I'm always curious, what's your relationship with music theory? You think a lot about music theory or are you just like all vibe somewhere in between? I have a love hate relationship with music theory. I think it's easy to overthink theory. And I've had a lot of friends that have gone to extensive music schools and they come back, you know, with this almost hypervigilant Yes. Viewpoint of music and and what is complex enough to validate that this song is 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 worth right. being listened to. You know, yes. I think it's overly analytical of music at times. I think I appreciate and have appreciated not really thinking about theory and just creating whatever feels right in the moment. But as I've gotten older, I, I do want to experience that more and, and sort of dive into music theory a bit more. And, but I feel like there's that fine balance between overanalyzing something and taking away the natural 100%. creativity of something and also giving it something new because you can take something that's basic and make it more intriguing and more beautiful and, and use this theory as a, as a language to expand, you know, what you're doing. But I think it's a balance and I've, I feel like yeah. I struggle with that sometimes. Cool. Same. I mean, I, I tend to the more analytical. And so I had to kind of unlearn some music yeah. theory to like vibe it out more. Yeah. And I think my music got better when I was thinking less about what should I do theoretically. Yeah. And what I think do that's I the feel problem. like? I think I it do. is, it becomes what should I do? And, and there's somehow a right or a wrong way to do it. Right. There isn't really, but when, when you start studying no, theory, right. it feels that way. <laughs> right, because it's taught like, here yeah. are the cadences, here, you know, here are these progressions, here's this, here's that. And you realize at some point, oh, no, that's just something that humans have been doing a lot. It's not like it's the best way to do it. That's just the way we do it. And a lot of it is Western music anyway. And so there's plenty of music around the world that doesn't do that shit at all. So yeah. it's it's definitely like a a choice, not a, you know, a mandate. Out of curiosity, since you guys seem to know a lot about this, do either of you have a least favorite chord progression <laughs> that you just can't stand, and you like, and you hear it in a song, and you get mad? Yes, I kind of think I do, <laughs> and I'll say it in scale degrees. I don't know if this will translate to anything for you, Vernon. It's been three sorry years of guitar practice, and there's not been a lot of. Uh, progress made, but okay. I can tell numbers. When someone does one, six, four, five, I'm like, what are we doing here, folks? Surely mm -hmm. you're better than this. Could you play us an example of that? Yeah. I can't wait to find out that one, six, four, five is all of my favorite songs. <laughs> it, it's a lot. It feels very 50s <laughs> to me. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. That's exactly oh, what man. I was thinking too. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, what are we? Okay, but now reggae. G- give me a like a, a jaunty reggae beat. You, you literally you just made that sound fun <laughs> yeah, uh, or I mean you can like fucking spray you know Ooh. What, what, you know spite? you can add passing diminished I think that's the interesting thing about this because you're talking so much shit about this chord progression but you're finding ways to make it fun yeah I <laughs> <laughs> There's all sorts of shit you can do to gussy it up. So I guess I'm not talking about the more complicated versions, but just, I don't know. Every time I hear it, I'm like, there's a, there's a better option. There's a better option to that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There are those sort of basic four chord structures that you hear repeatedly in, in pop music and elicit some sort of internal anxiety. <laughs> yeah. When you hear that. But, that calls yeah. back to a very like, primal ancestral place yeah. of, of yeah. this is the sound that I was hearing when I was being yeah. chased by a woolly mammoth. Yeah. But what's interesting to me is that the, the kind of the equivalent to that in jazz, which would be like a, what you'd call the rhythm changes or one, six, two, five instead of one, six, four, five is not as objectionable. Right. So it's like, it's like a little, it's better. Spicy. That one doesn't bug me as much. I'm like, okay, it's fine. But one, six, four, five always gets me. Okay. I think we should move on to segments. So the show has two segments, famously has two segments. The first of which is our pop culture recommendation segment. This is where you get to talk about something you've been enjoying recently a book, a movie, a video game, whatever it is. Culture, both high and low, is acceptable. This segment has a theme song which due to technological restrictions, we cannot play for you. So Maya, I will ask he's, you the he's question. He's lying to you. He's staring I, directly I in would, your face. I would, never, you. I would never. I would he, never. I would never. That's the interesting thing too. The statement is also I a would, lie. I, it is not. <laughs> Do not trust this man's lies. I'm a man of integrity and I would never, uh-huh. ever misrepresent the yeah. truth. No, totally. Me. Oh yeah, you're great. You're Thank so you. great. Luckily, I don't hear tone. <laughs> uh, so the segment does have a theme song but I can't play it so I'm going to ask you Maya the question I like to ask people which is if you were to have heard the theme song what would you have thought about it as a musician oh um, I thought you were going to ask me to sing it um. oh okay you know what if you want to well, yeah. you can sing well, yeah, a theme yeah, song yeah, is, if you want to I, really musicians boring, yeah. always have the option to sing a what's poppin theme song if you want <laughs> but also you don't have to perform if you don't feel like it I'm going to sing you a little theme song for this segment. Yes, please. All right. Do, 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 do. This is the theme song for the segment. The pop culture super segment. Do, do. (laughs) I love it. I pulled that out of my ass. Thank you. (laughs) I thought it was fantastic. I'd be really, really happy if that was a one, six, four, five uh, chord progression. (laughs) He's thinking about it. Yeah, I, I think it's it's one six two. I think that is one six two five. 
think that is actually. It's not one six four five. I think that was one six two five. Okay, I'll figure it out. Um, well, that's great. I love that. Always appreciate someone more talented than myself coming up with a better theme song than the one I came up with, which, although amazing, is not as good as yours. So, uh, uh-huh. Vernon, let's kick it off with you. What's popping? My popping today is Extremely Online by Taylor Lawrence. Oh, I've been curious about this. It's an unfinished book about the history of the internet that Brian, you and I were a part of, like where Google like found a hundred companies and they were like, Hey, we're going to inject a bunch of cash into your companies and then you're yep. going to make high quality YouTube content. Yep. And actually where I met you, Brian was at this place called Maker Studios years ago, which was one of those yeah. uh, YouTube cash funded companies. But the book covers that era of the internet and just I'm halfway through it. I'm not finished, but it just spent two chapters talking at length about Maker Studios. Oh, exit. really? Okay. Oh, man. In terms of like new media, like success stories, man, like Maker Studios just knocked it out of the park. Yeah. I was very frustrated at times working there. Extremely frustrated even. But you just can't hate a company for selling the half a billion to Disney. Mm-hmm. You can't be mad at that. <laughs> yeah. I love Taylor Lorenz's writing. She's a great writer. Very curious about this book. She seems to make all the right people mad. Yeah. She has been the subject of absolutely unwarranted vitriol and, mm. you know, really terrible threats and everything and seems to have weathered it pretty well. I just have tremendous respect that she's still doing it yeah yeah the take on the internet is so well researched it's weird reading a history book of something that you lived through directly as like a first-hand yeah. source or whatever that's how like i feel with world War on the money yeah <laughs> yeah I'm, yeah thank you thank you for your service by the way i've i've, I've always been meaning to tell you <laughs> no i appreciate um, that yeah but no I, I think my favorite part i found out about that book so far was um uh detailing what happened during the downfall of vine which was near the later days yeah <laughs> this is the most buck wild sounding shit and like i love that this is a part of history but like when vine was getting big all of the vine stars moved into one sort of like hype complex. Yes. Oh, hell yes. In Hollywood, which was 1600 <laughs> Vine Avenue. Mm-hmm. But, like imagine being someone who like didn't know what the internet was like living in an apartment oh my God. where you walk out every day and it's just a bunch of influencers like doing backflips off of each other. In Unimaginable. <laughs> so I'll just go over this really quick, but it was a, this like really, really interesting uh, story about how all of the major influencers on Vine, all of like the power users, they all lived in this place and they all communicated with each other. And what they were able to do was they were able to game the Vine algorithm to make sure that all of their Vines were the most popular when they came out mm-hmm. by releasing them at the right time and being promoted and revined by all the other influencers. Yeah, yeah. So they essentially had a, a stranglehold over like what Vine considered to be like their culture, right? Yeah. And Vine at the time was a subsidiary of Twitter and they were having right. their own culture wars back and forth. So like not a lot of stuff was getting done and all of the Vine stars were like not seeing any money out of it while they were mm-hmm. seeing all these other influencers on different platforms like getting theirs, like all these YouTube stars and soon be like Twitch celebrities like and all this stuff. But all these yeah. Vine guys were just like stuck on this thing. Um, so what <laughs> happened was they brought the then CEO of Vine near the later days into a meeting at 1600 Vine Avenue and like all the Viners sat down with this CEO And they were like, hey, in a sense, we're holding this place hostage. We will all leave unless you give us money. um, Well, the CEO thought it was like a $19 million cash injection. She was like, Uh yeah, yeah, like I could could, could swing like 19. And then they were like, no. 
19 for all of us. Oh my god. They demanded this like obscene amount of money from Vine and mm-hmm. then out of nowhere Vine disappeared. Wow. And and we all love Vine. We all have a favorite Vine. Sure. I'm I very much believe in the back at it again at Krispy Kreme. Yep, that's the one. That's the one. Oh yeah, so good. But yeah, like to 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 see something so magical as Vine just get destroyed. My favorite might be the Canadian guy yelling at I think it's a goose. He yells at a goose. He goes, "Get fucked." It's, it's a really good one, yeah. Well, that book sounds awesome, dude. But yeah, it, it's a, I, I highly, highly recommend it. it is, it's been very like um, elucidating about this like part of history that I feel a lot of us uh, in this industry and a lot of people who would be listening to a podcast like this got to see firsthand themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I do want to put it out there to the listening audience. I've said this before. I'll say it again. I would join Team 10 if asked. <laughs> uh that that applies just as much now as it ever did. So, uh, Jake, you know where to find me. I'm I'm yours if you want me. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, Maya, what's popping? There's this artist, Victoria Canal, that I've been very very much enjoying lately. She's just got this incredible voice, and you know when you when you listen to something and it really just resonates with you. Yes. I feel like there are songs that I enjoy, and then there are songs that just feel like they reach inside of my soul uh-huh. and she has that kind of voice and those kinds of songs that just reach inside of your soul so i've been really enjoying she just released an album i think it's called well well but all of her songs have been just incredible and so that's what i've been really enjoying that lately i feel like there's a lot of kind of indie artists that are cropping up kind of in the tiktok social media sphere and and they're doing just these incredible things um what was the song you got in on that album with she walks in is a really good one but also black swan and swan song <laughs> are all very good <laughs> it's all swan related songs all i forgot to mention yeah. <laughs> there was uh oh i can't even describe it i was at this 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 music convention and there was a band performing in all of their songs were about horses and then they came up and they're like we just want you to know not all of our songs oh, was that band of horses no it was <laughs> <laughs> yes 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 you give me every time because i oh you it's just so good and i just like it it always clicks with me two seconds late that you're being sarcastic I'm sorry like, no, it's what i do it i'm so sorry band of horses. And, the, and the thing is like you knew your audience i do love band of horses it was a good i know day. Credit where it's due. Sorry, please continue. <laughs> My bad. It's, Namaste. <laughs> I apologize. You have a brilliant sense of sarcasm. Thank you. You could tell me anything and I would just believe it. This, this is how I got but, married. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this band did every song about horses. And then at the end, they said, we just want you to know. Full, very serious. And they were not being sarcastic. They said... Not all of our songs are are about horses. We also write songs about Pegasus and unicorns. (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) And they were very serious. And every single song they wrote was about, you know, horses and and different kinds of of horses. And um, that's what that reminds me of. So this is the Swan album. (laughs) Do you remember the name of the band? Uh, I don't, but I do remember the album cover was a piece of lettuce. That's all I remember. (laughs) All right. Well, okay. Late night listeners, track it down. I want to hear it. <laughs> Sorry, that reminded me of this amazing album I found on YouTube once. This is by this guy named Sam Brass Knuckles, and the album is called I Hate Birds. And um, oh, track, track one was the intro. 
Uh, but track two is fuck roosters, and then track three is fuck pigeons. Uh-huh. Oh, yes. <laughs> and then track four, fuck parrots. You know, I like that. <laughs> it, it, it keeps it keeps it keeps going. We 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 end up at ducks in track ten. That's so sad. I love birds. Oh, I love them so much. I love every bird except for the <laughs> Canadian goose. Indeed. What do you have against the Canadian goose? Oh, they're such dick bags. I yeah, hate them so much. <laughs> like, you ever spend yeah. time around one? Man? They they never pay they're you the back. Worst. They eat all your food. Yeah. They don't want. They don't strip the beds before they go. It's just. It's so really. Rude. It's so rude. Thank you. That's right, Maya. Canadian geese will like smoke your weed. You'll get to them in the weed rotation, and they'll like take four hits off of the joint before they pass it. Yes. Like I'm not joking. I've I've been so mad about Canadian geese that I once googled <laughs> if you I can really. cook and eat them, and the answer is yes. Yeah, the, like they're they're protected here, but like hypothetically, they're they are a tasty if gamey animal. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, one of <laughs> you needs to one of you needs to now ask me what's popping. Brian, what's popping? Thank you, Vernon. I do appreciate that. It's a little bit of a plug, but not really, because I was just a guest on this album. I played sax and keys on a new Halloween album by the artist Ghoul Lewis and the Booze. Thank God. And Dylan, my friend who is also Twerp's merch manager and a, a really wonderful musician in his own right, said, hey, I'm doing this Halloween album. Would you play a little bit on it? Um, or I think he even told me about it. I was like, dude, I'd love to play on this. I can't remember. And they put this thing together. It's like punk surf rock kind of a little bit psychobilly sort of aesthetic it's so fun i love it a lot they just put it out last week it's it's really grungy and dirty in a super fun way you know the tracks are like grave diggers ball and the frankenstein stomp <laughs> vampirella i love the album i've been listening to it like all week and it's not just because i'm playing on it like it's super fun so I'm popping it this week because I want people to check it out. It's a great little album, and I was proud to be a part of it. And I'm just, I'm such a sucker for Halloween music. I love Halloween music. Yeah. I love spooky, scary skeletons and the monster rap. Monster rap. I almost said monster rash, but monster mash, but I do love the monster rap. <laughs> so that's my popping. All right. Vernon, do you want to introduce the, Wait, the next? I, yeah, I think, I think, I, sorry, I, I was, I, I was anticipating this. I think I can yes. do it. Um, Great. Okay. This next segment is called Peaches and Lemons. It is uh, one part petty grousing, three parts gratitude exercise. I think I did that backwards. No, that's fine. It doesn't matter. Keep going. And a lemon is a thing um, that is a minor inconvenience, a real bummer to the day. Peaches and Lemons. Uh, I'll go first. My lemon is that I have ruts in the walls as of last week. Oh, no. Can you hear them? Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, first of all, I wanted to say that I'm mostly just proud that it took me 16 years of living in Los Angeles to have a rat problem. Like, I think that's pretty good numbers for me. Yeah. I had one for like 10 years. His name was Brent Lloyd. (laughs) (laughs) Love you, Brent. (laughs) No, yeah, just started uh, late at night. I would hear skittering in the walls. And I do enjoy the like HP Lovecrafty, am I going insane aspect of having rodents. Good news guy came out to take a look at it. And I feel bad because when he called me, I picked up the phone and I was like, hello. And he was like, Vernon, sounds like you got vermin. Um, <laughs> and- <laughs> oh, that makes <laughs> me happy. 
I, I was caught a little off guard and I wasn't receptive to that joke. Like I didn't oh, yes and no. it. So so he he was kind of like reserved for the rest of the call and he stopped uh-huh. by today and I was like really ready to do bits with him. <laughs> but but he was just like all business and I think it's because I didn't respond to like his get one shot at that. Yes, correct. Yeah. <laughs> that's pretty yeah, anyways, great, that's dude. my lemon. No, the, the the lemon isn't the rats in the walls. The lemon is that I didn't yes and in of a course. time when I could have yes and <laughs> Yes, indeed. Uh, Maya, do you have a lemon for us this week? I do have a lemon. I was in a car accident in oh, no. LA like last week. So that was a lemon. That was oh, what a, a bummer. You're a okay. Bummer. I'm okay. Everybody was okay. It was okay. a it was a highway LA accident because oh, the no. LA highway is awful. Yeah. Oh, that's a bummer. Yeah. 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 So that that's was a bummer. Terrifying. But uh, the good news is now I get to see a chiropractor for free. Okay, hey. cool. So, you know, win some, you lose some. Brian, <laughs> <No. laughs> uh, what's your lemon? My lemon. I kind of said it before, but I, was, I hate doing promotion. I'm in album mode for this fucking jazz thing, and I got to do it, and I don't want to do it, and I got to do it. We talked about it, so I don't want to go in too hard. It's just I hate doing promotion. That's all. Oh, but like that, that promotion of yours is walking around in a blazer without a shirt on. What can I say? (laughs) Which I appreciate, which I really do appreciate. (laughs) Yeah. Which I guess that sort of leads into the peaches because I was going to say my first peach. was. uh, I think we might have the same peach. I hung out with Brian last night at Mm -hmm. Ethan's. I have to do this uh, documentary. Yes. uh, Premiere uh, in sunny Glendale, California. All the gamers were out. Home of culture. Yeah. We got a lot of cool (laughs) people out there. (laughs) I don't know, man. It was really, really nice. You know me. I'm, uh, I'm not really online anymore, and I think that uh, I've had a lot of buddies in the, like the internet person industry. Yeah. Like, I know it's just hard to keep in touch with a lot of people, and yep. and I, I think I have the sort of brain where if I haven't seen someone in three months, I just convince myself that they hate me. Yes. But being at a thing like this and getting to talk to people who I've known for years, and some of them I haven't seen in a couple years, and it was a reminder that the impact that you have on people and the the impact that people have on you. Um, lasts it lasts for years and years and years Mm -hmm. uh and i just really really appreciate that other than that i think i talk about them every time i'm on the podcast but i got to visit my nieces recently they are eight months old now and it is so weird to see their like tiny little brains like oh yeah you can see like the gears kind of like moving very very slowly (laughs) as they like stare at you and try to understand i love that that's me every day (laughs) yeah (laughs) They're like they're they're doing their weird little army crawls at this point, and it's just it's just amazing. When a baby pays attention to you, it's the greatest thing in the world. You feel like a fucking star when that baby's like, oh, oh it's the best. Oh, God, I love man. it so much. It's a yeah. really good baby face. Thank you, thank you very much. You just got the eyes so well. <laughs> but I, I have identical twin nieces, which I think is so cool. But they're like going in the pool now, and they're splashing around, and they're loving it. Uh, so yeah. Uh, I love my nieces. Uh, I just need to say every time that I get the chance that I love my nieces so much. And I think that's great. <laughs> cool. And then the last one is um, I just uh, finished the first draft on a project recently. I, I guess in terms of like setting intentions for the world, I might as well say it now. Like I think the next goal in my career is I really want to see if I can direct something. Um, so I'm traffic. working towards that. Yeah. <laughs> traffic. Um, um, <laughs> actually, just traffic. But I was guy that my my follow up to that was going to be the flow of narcotics across the Mexico U.S. border. <laughs> but. Uh, so I just finished the first draft on um, something that I've been working on for the last couple months, 
And it came in at 165 pages, which I don't know uh, if anyone listening normally writes screenplays, but that is too many. That's too many. I, I, I came in one. with the Killers of the Flower Moon. And like, it's, not, yeah. it's not good pages. It's like 165 like pages. Of just like, But it's done. Dog shit. Yeah. Like a, uh, last time I saw you, we talked about yep. this, this idea that like you, you know, you can fix a broken engine, but you can't fix the concept of a broken engine. Well, actually, I, I can. Ready? Ready for this? Yeah. <laughs> engine. <laughs> Fucking boom. Yeah. It's done. It's done. Done. But no, like I was, I guess, trying something different or like being forced to try something different because I couldn't figure out the outline in the outlining phase. So I was just like, all right, man, five pages a day until it's done. Um, I learned a lot in this process about like, you know, as a writer, you're you're trying to figure out a like you're trying to figure out a path from A all the way to Z. And we say Zed here. <laughs> that's Sorry, continue. I, that was a needless interruption, to, and I apologize. Oh yeah, no, continue. yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, no. Brian <laughs> went to the UK. Oh, he was a professor at a big old frilly fuck. Anyway, um, I'm gonna, the fact uh, that you flamed out so hard during that insult <laughs> did better than I possibly could have get done responding to it. So I'm just gonna uh, let that sit I, yeah, and let you. It continue. was Mount St. Mary's College, right? Like I was trying to remember the exact place that you. It's Queen Mary, uh, Queen Mary University. Queen Mary. See, that's how little I care. That's fine. You don't need to. Yeah, it was a uh, it was a very interesting exercise in in drawing a line from from A to Z, and then uh, like by hook or by crook. On this podcast, yeah. <laughs> but like, yeah, it was a, it was a like a shitty zigzag line with the bunch we of say a Z it, but it was a line, but it was a line that led to Z. <laughs> Thank you. There we go. And it was fine. And you know, after after doing that for uh, like a shitty amount of time, like I finally feel that like I have direction of what I'm trying to do with this, and it, it like it finally feels good to think about rather than the day after day terror that I've experienced. I love it. Uh, but yeah, congratulations. That's, that's amazing, dude. Congratulations on finishing that. That's no small feat. Thank you very much, Brian or Maya. Do you guys have peaches? Yes, I have peaches. I worked with Dan on the Sky Hill album. And Who? that's been hey. released very recently. He's a lone surviving member of Ninja Sex Party. There we go. Great. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> it's very sad. Very sad <laughs> yeah. what happened to, what happened to, that other to guy? Brian. Yeah. Brian was his name? I think so. Nobody knew. Me. Maybe Brandon. Yeah. yeah. It was Brent, Brent Lilly, I believe. <laughs> Brent Lilly. <laughs> Sorry, I interrupted. Go ahead. No, that's definitely a peach. Um, the music that's turned awesome. out great. It was very fun to record on that. And the, I think that was released a few days ago. So that's very exciting. So that's a peach. And I have a nephew that lives nearby. So similarly, um, he's, he's three, so he's talking and whenever he says nice things to me, my heart just melts. And, um, I feel like the most special person in the whole world. Yeah. So that's been nice. Um, Shout out to my nephew. And like, I, I love, I love the low commitment that you have yeah. for like nieces and nephews where you just yeah. show yeah. up and you like, you just like you high five, you're on around for a while. Correct. Yeah. That's it, dude. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I think that's so exactly cool. what we did. We, he wanted to play chase. So chased him around a little bit, you know, and then we, <laughs> we called him a day. It's great. His name is Finley, which is a very cute that's name. Finley. Yeah. He's very sweet. That was one of uh, Samuel Morse's, inventor of Morse code's middle names. Hmm. Samuel Finley. Finley Breeze Morse. I have no idea if you're being serious or not. I'm always yeah, serious. That, that, I've, 
Look it up. No, look it, you can look no it up. I have no concept of time and I have no concept of your sarcasm. Just completely over my head every time. That's, you could tell me I, anything. I, I would be lying me. if I didn't say that was the goal. <laughs> and I think you have one, one more, one more peach in you. Yes. Um, and I'm very close to finishing my album. So that's very exciting. Yeah. What are your peaches? Fantastic. Hey, congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> for the new album, you don't have a release date or a title or anything people can look It's look called for? Out of the Dark. And okay, great, cool. theoretically, the release date is in November. But um, I'm going to not say that because I yes. don't know when it will actually be finished. So it's coming out in November. That is a late night promise exclusive. <laughs> you heard it here first. Right. No, good. That's, good. Right. That's amazing, Maya. Like, congratulations Thank on you. that. And I'm, I'm very excited. Thank you. Very much. I didn't say I love your music. Like, I should have said this from the beginning. Your stuff is oh, yeah. so the, the, great. I, I wonder why we like, didn't open with this. I, um... I realized what I, now, what I said was a very backhanded compliment, which was, you do so much. Which is exactly the kind of thing you would say to someone if you didn't like what they that, did. That, that's, right? so that, that's equivalent of like, I love what you're trying to do. I love what you're That's my, actually, Vernon, I don't know if we've ever talked about it. That's my all-time favorite. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> fo- followed closely by, after you see a live show, you guys look like you were really having fun out there. That's another, yeah. like... That's a really dark oh, one. That cuts. Uh, that no, but cuts. like your stuff is so great. My favorite is all the the cello stuff. I think it's so cool. Thank like you. it's just really, really beautiful, awesome. Uh, there is a awesome lot of variety, stuff. though. I do, I do feel yes. you. Like the envy of none yeah. stuff is heavier, a little bit more alternative, yes. kind of grungy stuff. Yeah, a little and industrial then, sort of. Right? Yeah, my solo stuff has a lot of variety too. This album has a lot of variety. I was just finishing work on a song that's more industrial and I was just recording some screaming for that, which is great. Oh, hell yes. And it's really interesting how you were able to make that work on an album with a ska song right after that. <laughs> yes. It's it's called Scarreaming. <laughs> so yeah, it is there's a lot of variety and then, you know, there's some very happy like the last single that I released is like there's a lot of, you know, banjo and cute, happy sounds That's great. so a very happy song and the music video is full of goats so if you like goats uh, love gotta it. love goats yeah <laughs> so i'll respond to your question now why you asked me what my peaches were peach number one is the one vernon mentioned we went to ethan's i have to do this premiere last night saw a lot of friends saw a fun film saw ethan get to enjoy a really nice moment so that was great i enjoyed it i went with rachel i wore my tray magnifique suit and uh, i was i saw a bunch of people there i hadn't seen in a long time uh so that was really fun fact we sat really in the cool. same row and yes, Brian did. had to get up twice when I went to the bathroom. <laughs> and I'm going to be dead honest with you, Brian. Like when I came back and you're like, oh, please, God, just for the, uh, like, <laughs> I legitimately thought you were mad at me. <laughs> oh, God. Like, <laughs> well, that's, what could I say? That's a win for old daddy Brian that's over here. Classic like, Brian. <laughs> of course classic I wasn't mad Brian. at you. What I did was I muttered. I, I don't did I mutter or did I say the word disrespectful into your ear? No, I, I heard because, disrespectful. Okay, great. All right, so that's peach one. Peach two is we, we had two wonderful friends in from London this past week who were staying with us, two comedy friends who will be on next week's episode of Late Night, but I don't want to give anything away. But we did a we did something unique in the history of this podcast, which I will let people discover next week. They were funny for once. Yeah, we actually had a good episode. It's a first. Um, yeah. uh, except for this one, which is, of course, fantastic due to your presence, Maya. And uh, my final peach is I recorded a part on a song with 
a friend of the show, two friends of the show, Jordan Duffy, who we recently had on. Uh, she is working on an album produced by Party Nails, aka Alana, uh, who is also a guest on this show. And I went to the studio for a day and recorded a couple sax parts for him. And you know, working with a couple of people I'd never worked with before, Alana is the best. She's an amazing musician and a really great producer. And Jordan's writing some really cool stuff. So it was fun to be a part of that. And I always, I'm sure you get this too, Maya. I just love checking out new studios and seeing what everyone's got set up and like, oh, this mm -hmm. is how they're doing it. And Alana has a lot of great like classic synths that, you know, she's been collecting over the years. And it's it's always fun to see someone else's gear and rig. So Yeah. I love great. looking at other people's gear. It's like yeah. I don't know, taking a peek behind the curtain. Feels yeah. very intimate. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's like looking at someone's gear. bookshelves, right? It's like, yeah. oh, that's what you oh, oh okay. Wow, well, yeah. you got that, huh? <laughs> Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I feel very judged when people look at my gear, especially, you know, it is. It's very like it's a personal thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, Maya, thank you so much for being on the show. This was awesome. It was a pleasure to talk to you. I appreciate you taking the time out on this uh, Friday evening. And Vernon, thank you for jumping in at the last minute here to co-host. It's always a joy. I love I love hanging out on... What was the podcast called again? Late Night with Brian Late Wick. Late Night Sorry. with Brian Wick. Yeah. Is there have said, where people can find you? I was about to say Club Random, and then I thought better of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Vernon, you know, I think the world of you, you're absolutely the best. Uh, Thank you, you always, always, always come through in a clutch when friends need you. Just happy to be here for the boys. No, it was it was awesome to have you on. And thank you for for stepping in for for Layton. Layton, feel better. And I'm sure she'll be back very, very soon. Mm -hmm. Now, Vernon, I believe you had a question you were just about to ask. Sorry, Maya, if there's a place where people are looking to find you, is there a way they can find you? This guy. He's such yes. a pro. Um my website, uh, Maya Wynn, if you can spell my name, the, spelling my name is the hard part, but if you can That's spell right. my, ma my name, you can find me anywhere. It's M-A-I-A-H. Oh, sorry. No, sorry I yeah. apologize. I stepped oh, on you. Fernan, you don't <laughs> interrupt her. Come on. I was just complimenting sorry, was you on so your professionalism. I this podcast without biffing it too hard. <laughs> what, what, what kind of monster would say, if you can spell my name, you've got it, and then not spell the name? <laughs> Who would do such a thing? That's all I want to ask you. I just, yeah, I, sh I should have, I should, I, sh I should have assumed better in you, Maya. I apologize. Anyway, please, Maya, okay. I'm listening to you, even if Vernon isn't. Please spell your name. It's M A I A H W Y N N E. That's me. Now, you see, the difference between you and me, Vernon, is I would have interrupted her again while she was spelling her name, and that's why you're a better man than I. Uh, now, look, okay, so normally Leighton likes to do the sign-off. Actually, she hates to do it, but can normally I, I force can I do, her to. Please, can I do it? Can I, I was going to ask, I was going to throw to you, please, Vernon, please, guy, send, oh, send us out here. Send us off with some words of wisdom. Gamers, hmm. keep gaming. I love it. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye. Leighton Night is produced by Brian Wecht, Leighton Gray, and Jarek Centeno. Follow us on Twitter at Leighton Knight, on Instagram at Leighton underscore Knight, or email us at LeightonKnight at gmail.com. <laughs>